Hey, everybody, welcome to the second episode of The Tight Beam, covering The Expanse, both the television series and the books, part of the Random Chatter Podcast Network. This is being recorded on March 29th, and I am joined, as always, by my three co-hosts, Lou, Andrea, and Shannon. Shannon, how are you doing today? You know, trucking. Trucking? All right. I'm trucking. Doing better than I am, then I guess. I'm, I'm just kind of sitting here stationary. I'm <laughs> well, not it's, moving at it's, all. Like, I guess you, I you sound say like there's some momentum going. Truck. Yeah. I like a like a chug chug. Yeah, I think I can. I think I can. Okay, the, nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah. Okay, Andrea, what about you? How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I'm ready to talk about the season that I love the most. Ah, excellent. Lou, how about you? I'm doing great. I just wish we had, you know, the the space trucking track to, to to you know, bed in behind the show here <laughs> for, for for Shannon. Uh, well, you know, I didn't know in advance to get that prepared because you know I, I wasn't expecting that. Wait, know, which thing? Well, you know, a little, little deep purple plane in the background for space trucking. Oh, space yeah. trucking! Kind of combining yeah. the the trucking motif with the expanse. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> chugging along like an injured Rossi. Oh. Yeah, there Maybe you that go. should have been our name. Maybe we should Injured do a name Rossi? <laughs> Injured Rossi's. Oh, boy. It's a little it's, negative, it's perfect. but okay. It's beautiful. Or, or now that we've seen the teasers, the broken coffee machines. Oh. That too would soon, be... Too soon. <laughs> Nothing too worse soon. than a broken coffee machine. Coffee tantrums, too soon. All right. So what we're going to do tonight, we are still waiting... For the season three premiere, because despite our protests and trying to contact them and and enter into a productive negotiations, they refused to start season three earlier as per our requests. So we're still waiting for April 11th for season three. So in the meantime, today we are going to discuss season two, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, uh, our favorite moments and episodes. Before we get to that real quick, um, as I mentioned at the start of the show, for the people who are new here, this is part of the Random Chatter Network. I do have a quick network announcement. We just posted our spring 2018 movie draft. If you're not familiar with that, head over to randomchatter.com and listen to it. Now, if you'd like to participate in the audience draft, go to randomchatter.com slash movie draft. There are some instructions there. There's a link where you can email in your submissions for this season. And uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can contact me directly via email. It's Eric, that's E-R-I-K at randomchatter.com. So I just wanted to, to share that. We're looking to get all the submissions in by the end of uh, this, uh, the first full weekend in April, which I think would be April 8th. It's not a lot of time, so we're promoting on all of the shows that uh, we send out so that people are aware of it. So that's it for network announcements. That was short and sweet and to the point. So let's jump in to season two. Heck yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Shannon, we're going to start with you. Let's talk about what we liked about season two overall. Not the favorite moments and stuff specifically, but as a season, what did we like about it? I'm going to say something that's very obvious. Okay. But I'm going to say it anyway. I really, I have my qualms with it and I'll get to it, but I really liked how the, um, trauma arc went the trauma arc the holden trauma arc uh 
in book two, it took me a really, I missed a lot somehow <laughs> in book two. Um, okay. So seeing, you know, that was very nice to see play out. I'll get mm -hmm. to, I'll do that in more detail later, but I liked, I thought, you know, the timing felt a little weird for everything, but at the same time it yeah. felt right. Um, yeah, it was weird because and, it was different than what we expected, but it mm, felt right because it worked, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, bringing Bobby in, mm -hmm. you know, at the very beginning, having that be one of the first things we see. Um, I, you know, I really liked that. I really liked having that Martian point of view brought forward um, and, you know, weaving it in with what we all think of the Earthers. Yeah. Um, and having it, you know, kind of um, mirror what we saw from Earth, I guess, in season one, because yeah. we didn't see like like I mentioned in the last episode, we had Martian perspectives, but we didn't see Mars. Right. They were so really this, underrepresented in season one. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to Avasarala style get to Mars even for like, you know, two minutes, the two minutes we were on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I really liked how I'm trying to think of like the overall things, less the specific things. It's really hard because obviously spe specific things are going to stick out more. Um, I guess I really liked the Rossi crew finally being a unit. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, being a book reader and especially by season two, I had read all the books that had come out at that point. So, you know, seeing the unit finally come together for better, or for worse, as we all get into, I'm sure, um, you know, that was really, really great. And having Miller there with them was spectacular and hilarious and upsetting at times. Yeah. Um, and I just really liked, you know, the integrate, like the, the way that because, you know, Vasarala's plot was brought forward, not brought forward, I'm sorry, because she was introduced earlier, getting to actually see how the Eros incident plays out on Earth. Things like, you know, because we bring in characters early, we get to see things that we didn't get to see before, which we talked about in the last episode. And it's really super successful in season two as well with the addition of uh, Bobby. So, yeah. You know, it I season two is great. I loved season two. I've watched it so many times that even if I didn't finish season two, which I didn't for this episode, I still remember so much that I liked about it and so much uh, how much I enjoyed it that I watched it that many times. Yeah. Uh, I It was a really successful season of television. It was really good. The writing was really good. The mo the punch and the gut punch moments really good. It's just, ah, it's a solid season of television. You know, it was really nice good. how I, I have a great level of appreciation for the writers on this show and how they were able to keep the momentum going. Um, there were a couple of, of parts where um, I, yeah, maybe not quite as good as others, but when you're looking at it as an entire season of television and you compare it to other television series as entire seasons. I mean, they really nailed the pacing on this season. They, they got a lot done. Um, it wasn't one of those things where I, I feel like they, they had more reveals in this season than most television series typically do. 
And yeah, I really, I really appreciated like that. they don't hold out. Yeah. And back to what you said about kind of the, the cohesion of the Rosinante crew. I liked that they felt a lot more like a family this time around. Uh, with Miller being the exception. And I liked the fact that Miller's interaction with Holden and the rest of the crew were a lot more dynamic in the show than they were in the book, it felt like. But you still had the moment early on in the season, moments, where they were kind of off doing their own thing. You had Alex beating himself up as he's running through all these simulations, trying to figure out a way to have done it better, while... Yeah you get a montage of Naomi going out and, and playing handball and, and dancing in a club. And like she, you, you come that close to death and uh, a lot of people process it differently. If you talk to people who've been in the military, um, some people, they, they, they turn inward and kind of lock down. Other people do what Alex did and start kicking themselves and other people do what mm -hmm. Naomi did. And, and they, they feel like, they need to go and just absorb as much living as they can in that short period of time. I, I and really, some people obsess over it. Yeah. Like Holden. Yeah. And, and I really like how they, that brought additional depth to each of the characters and it was shown them each individually and yet mm -hmm. still acting as a cohesive family unit as well. So yeah, the fallout from Eros, uh, that was in my notes as well. I like specifically wrote down next to each character, their response to Eros yeah. once they got to Tycho and after a uh, toss station. And it's just, it, it feels so real. And um, I know Steven, cause he's talked about it a thousand million times, uh, research PTSD in relief workers, Oh, um, specifically. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he, uh, somebody in the Canadian military, he talked to about like specifically relief and aid workers, um, not necessarily people who fought in wars. Uh, and you know, seeing Naomi let loose with fellow belters after losing a ton of belters and, you know, Alex, yeah, like you said, obsessing over, you know, what he could have done differently. Just the wild range of emotions right. is just so real and organic. And it was beautiful to see played out rather than focused like it was in the book on Holden because we didn't get those perspectives. So seeing it on the show was that montage just, it really hits you to see just how Eros affected each and every one of these characters. And it's yet another example of something where they're, they're adding content for the show, as you said, that we didn't get in the book mm. to the benefit of the development of these characters. Mm. So Lou, what were your thoughts on, on season two as a whole? You know, as a whole, like Shannon said, it's tough to really talk about it as a whole cohesive <laughs> package of episodes because there were so many standout moments that came to mind. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think the best part for me was that, there was so many changes, uh, you, you know, in terms of when story happened that it kept me, you know, interested to learn what was going to happen next. Because even though I knew the story from the books, the TV show, just like we said in the first season, kept me so, you know, entertained that I really couldn't wait to see the next episode. Right. Um, and I know that sounds kind of short and sweet, but that that was kind of my my overall thought of that of season two was but that. Um, it just kept me kept me riveted every week to the to the TV screen. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it may be short and sweet to point that out, but that's a big factor for those of us who've read the books. And like we said last episode, Lou, you and I, uh, we were through book five 
by the time season mm. one debuted. And you kind of go into it feeling like, well, I know how all of this is going to pan out. And then we got that yeah. surprise at the end of season one where it's like, oh, they haven't even finished Leviathan Wakes yet. And then in right. season two, it opens with the opening scene from the second book with Bobby. And you're like, wait a minute, did I miss half a season yeah, somewhere? Exactly. And, but, you know, but, but between that and the fact that they bring characters forward and introduce, um, you know, themes that we're going to see later on in the books early on. Yeah. And it keeps you, it, it gives you different perspectives. I think Shannon mentioned that too right. about, you know, seeing Mars from that or seeing the, seeing the Eros incident from Earth's point of view, because those things happened in a vacuum, well, in a vacuum. Um, but, you know, they, they, they happened without us seeing what Earth was doing because it was set in space on, on the Rosinante for basically the whole, the whole thing. And we didn't get that whole interaction between, the UN and the Rosinante crew and what right. was going on until like book mm. three, really, you know, when you really started right. getting some of that politics stuff. There's so much foreshadowing, to and, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, as we're recording this, uh, Ready Player One is coming out in theaters. And Lou, that's another book that you and I have been talking about for years now. And you and I have both reread it or listened to the audiobook countless times. Like literally we've lost count. And the movie changed so radically from the book that you and I both have, have discussed some issues that we had with it. We feel like it's a wonderful movie, yet we were still disappointed with it on on an individual basis. And with The Expanse, it's cool to see season two, where with all these changes from the books, it still gives us something new to look forward to. But they're hitting all of the story milestones from the books. We're not missing mm -hmm. anything. It's additional insight that we're getting to the same events. And so the changes aren't taking away anything. We're not losing anything. We're gaining things with the changes. And it, it still keeps us mm -hmm. on our toes because the things that are getting changed, a lot of it's the timing or seeing things from different characters' perspectives. So it gives us something fresh to watch, even if we're veterans of the, of the book content. So I I really find that, that a, a fascinating thing for them to be able to pull off as successfully as they have, because that's got to be delicate. I mean, these yeah. guys must be like, have gone into season two, like super stressed about whether they were going to be able to pull this off successfully. <laughs> Andrea, what do you think about season two? Overall, I think that one of the things that stood out was, and this is not related to story, the visual effects. I, I have every single time there was a scene or a moment where visual effects took hundred percent of the screen. I was in awe yeah. and, and not just that, the, the subtle details. And I think that this is something I'm going to talk about when I talk about what I enjoyed, specific moments that I enjoyed the details that went into the, the visual effects to make it more realistic. I really enjoyed and appreciated that. Um, and then the other thing, and this is something that you guys have already mentioned, is that the perspective aspect of it and that a lot of the characters that were starting to get to know a little bit more, there was a little bit more depth into them. And you started to question a lot more where they come from and what's driving them and what really happened in their pasts. And it's very important to get those stories. And you almost get 
a lot more like the human emotion aspect of it. I mean, without, again, going into too much detail, when Avasarala is talking to her husband, you see such a vulnerable moment between her and her husband. And that just brought tears to my eyes because it's it's such a loving thing that we rarely get to see from her character. So those moments within different characters was really interesting the fact that for example another one Amos he he's so in many ways like twisted and he was able to get into the mind of, of um right. that was pretty fascinating and it's a it's an you get to appreciate the characters a lot more because of that. Um, so I really enjoyed where a lot of the characters were headed um, and the writing was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I love when they do things like what they did with Amos. And uh, in, in fact, I was going to get to that later when we get to our favorite moments. That That's one of mine. I, I love that they can take a damaged character and and take ways in which that character is damaged, turn it into a strength and yet not do it in a way that comes across as a a standard trope that we've seen done so many times before. And, and what you said with um, Avasarala, you've got arguably one of the strongest characters in in the series. I mean, if Mm -hmm. there's one person you kind of don't want to get into a spitting match with, I, I have to imagine it's her. And then showing this vulnerability and and it's cool that you can show that people can be human like that and that being vulnerable is not the same as being weak. Right. And that's something that I think in society, a lot of times people don't, they have a hard time processing that fact that you can be both strong Mm -hmm. and vulnerable um, within relationships with people, whether it be working relationships, spousal relationships or whatever. So, well, why don't we get into what we didn't like about season two? Because it, it kind of sounds a little bit like maybe Shannon's got uh, <laughs> a couple of things on, on her list there. What, what you want to go ahead and start Shannon? Uh, so I mentioned last week that probably one of my biggest issues had to do with the transition of something internal to the screen, which is, has to be external. And uh, for me, while I thought um, Stephen did a tremendous job mm-hmm. as Holden and portraying his PTSD, I felt that there were at times the writing kind of let him down a little bit. Okay. Um, there's been uh, a lot of criticism concerning, uh, you know, season uh, two um concerning Holden uh you know a lot of bad actor comments um and you know sometimes it's not just the actor uh he's an incredibly subtle actor yeah and for me I felt that the issues were coming from that there wasn't a balance um between his angry moments and his vulnerable moments when it came to being triggered by, um, you know, being confronted with the protomolecule and it being out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pick up on it if you know you're looking for it, which book readers would probably get yeah. more than show watchers. And of course, that was a huge distinction. Yeah, um, definitely. I felt that, you know, he had that one nightmare literally at the very beginning of the season. And then it dropped off. We see him, 
visibly showing distress when seeing things that involve the protomolecule. Mm-hmm. But we do not like it immediately becomes anger and it's not addressed um, by anybody. You know what? That's and I think that's a good point. You you do see that that anger there, but it's I guess looking back on it, it's never really explained or demonstrated that that's a result of kind of a panic response coming from the PTSD. Yeah. If, as I'm watching it again, you can see when it is. Um, But again, it's, he's a very subtle actor. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Mm -hmm. This isn't a complaint about him at all. It is absolutely beautiful to watch it because sometimes it is subtle. And he did, like I said a minute ago, research it. Right. So it's not like he's just making something up. So Well, and a lot of times people who are suffering from PTSD try to, you know, they have an awareness of the fact that they're going through it. And so they try to hide as much of it as they can mm-hmm. from the people around them anyway. So there, there is a certain genuineness to having a, a more subtle portrayal of the responses up to that point where you kind of break right. and, and you kind of have an, an exacerbation of, you know, or yeah. an incident. So actually that that's not an inaccurate way to portray it. Oh no, absolutely the not. The, the issue though, is that the audience seemed to have a very negative reaction to it mm-hmm. in a way that they didn't either didn't understand what they were seeing. Right. Or it was just something about the reaction to it felt like something was missing. Right. And for me, it was, I don't think, I think especially for audience members who don't know what's wrong or don't look for it because they haven't read the books, it seems like Holden's just treating everyone poorly for no reason. Because you don't necessarily pick up on the fact that it typically has to do with the proto-molecule. And it makes it harder to sympathize with what he's going through because instead it looks like he's just being a jerk. Exactly. Well, I mean, the the most important one is when he's um, forcing Alex to chase the proto-man. Exactly. He's so so angry because Alex just doesn't want to risk um, the ship from getting destroyed or hit or whatever. And, And he's just forcing himself to chase because, and again, a lot of people don't make that connection that is a constant reminder of what happened in arrows. And if he can kill it, if he can get rid of it, then it's kind of like closing another door just to end everything that's going on. Because again, uh, he, he says, uh, I think to Naomi in one of the scenes is that nobody else gets to see what he saw on arrows. Yep. Once Miller's gone. Yeah, and no, he's the only one that knows exactly what happened, and, and the fact that he is is taking um, the anti radiation stuff. I mean, that's just a constant reminder of what he had to suffer. Yeah, and so. right before we recorded, I rewatched uh, Godspeed, and if you watch when Naomi turns on the audio feed from Eros, he is like immediately not okay um the entire scene with the marasmus immediately not okay like it's stuff that if you're if you know what's going on if you figure it out especially on rewatch it's easy to pick up but when you're watching it the first time a lot of first reactions are wow he's acting like such a jerk so i felt like if 
we had been, I don't know, given more of that yeah. internal issue with like either flashbacks, nightmares, what have you, rather than see it play out on his face. It might have helped people who couldn't pick up on it, pick up on it a little easier. Um, in the same vein, I had an issue with uh, in episode eight, um, Naomi's internalizing her guilt over what she did. And there's a scene we so this happens kind of between the episodes, but Naomi kind of accuses Holden of hiding something from her. And like he kind of did. But the issue was we didn't see him explicitly do it. So right. I was very confused watching the episode where she's like, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, well, we saw him like sneak out, but we never saw him have the opportunity to tell her. They didn't have a face to face because they were angry with each other again. Right. So I sat there like, you know, I know why she's upset. And, you know, but the fact is like it's it's we're supposed to understand it's misplaced, but it actually is misplaced because we don't see that. So it's kind of like I feel like smaller moments that would have made these storylines and, and things have more impact were missing. And I understand it's a lot and we can't include everything, but it, I want those things to land. Right. And for me, they can't land if important parts of them are missing. We Again, we didn't see Holden hide anything from Naomi. We just saw him sneak out. We well, didn't, you know, see him suffering internally we just saw him act out and right. the Marasmus was supposed to take the place of like his internal thing because we could see that happen. And that was an incredible moment and it was incredibly well acted and well written. But again, you know, again, people took that as just anger and defensiveness rather than fear and right. trauma. Well, and I think that's another example of Things that are going on internally with characters are easier to express in written form because you're you're getting the narrative from inside their head. On television, you have to visually demonstrate things. Lou, what what was your take on this? As you're watching season two, and of course, you've gotten to see what's inside Holden's head through reading the books and stuff. Did you have that same sort of take where he was just being a jerk or did you feel like it was... A, a result mm. of what you knew was kind of going on through his head or what's yeah, you your see, take on I, that? I didn't have the same reaction to it that the Shannon did. I, I kind of, I guess you could say my thoughts were tempered by what I know from the books and, and, and what I, what I've internalized as his character in my head. So I don't have the same kind of criticism a lot of people had on his acting or his, or, or his reactions, that kind of stuff, because I, I have in my own head what he has already done, you know, in the books. Right. So for me, that it's kind of a hard question to answer because I can't really just look at the episodes and, and kind of go from there because I have so much more knowledge in my head about it. Yeah, it's hard to like un, you know, undo right. in your head what you yeah, know from you the books and look at it cleanly. But I I try to separate it just because I don't like to be overly critical. Right. So as I tell a lot of people, I separate the show and the books and I just use my book knowledge to supplement. Right. Because I want to understand I don't want to fight with non book readers over uh, motivations and stuff because I know right. they're not going to have the same thought. So my issue is, is that if they can't get the same thing from the show that I did like, or not, not that if they can't pick up something that important from the show, they're not being given enough information. I, I will agree with you. I think that they, mm. the, the showrunners, the writers probably needed to find additional ways to demonstrate that that's what was going on with Holden. No, 
there's a lot going on, so I know it's hard. One of the things that I will bring up that I brought up in episode one was that there is not a lot of handholding in the expanse. Right. And they do a really good job in the writing to show you things, but it's up to you to interpret which way you want to interpret it. And a lot of the things I, if I were to remove my knowledge of the books and just look at the show, I can sort of see why people are taking his anger as like, oh, what in the world is going on? But that's, again, them not reading between the lines and understanding what happened before. So do you I think really that it was demonstrated yeah. enough it, during what uh, we saw? Not enough. Okay. But you can build those connections. Yeah, it's, I, I agree with Andrea. They absolutely, they don't hold your hand. They give you a lot of clues. So that's why it was always... Which is good. Baffling to yeah, that's why you know it's always been baffling and very confusing to me that this is such a controversial thing. Right. Um, and like separate, se separating the fact that Holden is an important character to me and has been since I read the first book before I even watched the show. Mm -hmm. It's always baffled me that something that is this clear is so like, you know, either discounted, written off, what have you. So like, just so I don't have to, just so I don't keep dragging this on and on and on. Cause I, I could, this is something I could probably talk about for a while. It just, to this day, a year later, mm -hmm. it still baffles me that the reactions to his acting in this storyline were so overwhelmingly negative, like in certain circles, yeah. but still overwhelmingly negative. It baffles me to this day because I watched the same season He's that is not bad acting for sure. Right. But I don't know where the disconnect is. And that could just be me. But it just it it really confuses me that there's this much disconnect over this. I I think that what it boils down to is one of the things that we like the most about the expanse is exactly what Andrea was talking about. The fact that they don't hold your hand, they don't spoon, uh, spoon feed it to you, which is good. It's nice to have a show on television that makes you think and, and that really makes you kind of dig into what's going on around you in the show. That That's, I think, one of the strongest things about The Expanse as far as things that set it apart from a lot of its peers the flip side of that is you have to make sure you maintain a careful balance of giving people enough to be able to draw the right conclusions if they are yeah. trying to. And sadly, people aren't so used to having to think about their entertainment content anymore. So we're already dealing with a baseline of society being used to having things spoon fed to them, which makes this finding that balance a little more difficult in the first place. But I, I think they probably should have done, should have done a little bit more to demonstrate that the anger was not impatience. I think there were a couple of times where it came across as impatience. And I think that there were a few times where it, it came across as impulsivity. And I think they needed to do a better job of showing that it was actually a result of trauma, of this hyper focus that comes along with PTSD sometimes. Uh, and I think that that's probably where where they could have improved it. Yeah, it was still very good. Just, oh, yeah, it's no, a, no. It's and, a, and definitely was, a personal thing, yeah. I think the acting 
And, and I understand why people, if they didn't understand what was going on, they might have come to the conclusion that it was a result of bad acting. The acting was not bad. As you said, I think it was spot on. I think it's exactly what it needed subtle. to be. Is there anything else from season two that, that stands out as something that could have been improved? Yes. Yes, Andrew, there are some things. Okay. <laughs> we were doing like finger motions at each other. You guys couldn't see it, but it was good. Um, and again, this is something that I did bring up in episode one. If nobody has watched it, go back. Um, Miller's storyline. His ending with Julie was not something I wanted when they kissed that that was something that I feel like they, they should have changed it because the whole entire time that he's talking to her, he's calling her a kid and then he kisses her. So I, I, again, it's just, I, I didn't feel like there was a romantic aspect to that relationship and the kiss felt really forced. The other thing that I didn't like too much, um, or could have been done better. I know I said that I really love the visual effects in season two, but there was one little thing that I wish could have been improved, not because it was bad, but because I had a different interpretation in my head based on the books. And that was the Prody. Proto man just felt okay. very cartoonish to me. And I didn't enjoy seeing him, especially in the last episode. Um, so I Looking at season three and the trailer, it looks like they did some minor changes to what he looks like, so or what they look like. So I'm excited to see how that goes. I yeah, I I think I agree with you on, on that. It was one of those things where I I kind of felt like I had to overlook uh, how that appeared. But I mean, on the flip side too, in keeping in mind, they've got. They're already doing some phenomenal work with the exactly. budget that they have, as exactly. you said. So it's easy to forgive that maybe not being perfect. But like, how would you, I, I guess as I saw it and I was like, it's kind of, eh. but then I immediately thought, well, what did I expect? I mean, not talking exactly. about Elias right. like that. What's that? Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. Elias, fantastic. who played Kenzo, played Prody. Um, so that Steven had a reference. Okay. Um, I mean, listen, I'm Prody not, I'm not dissing it, but Elias I, slash Prody is love. Okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm it's not, fine. Uh, I totally uh, understand where you guys are coming from. I just felt like I had to make a joke, but yeah, he okay. is played by Elias, AKA Kenzo from season I, one. I did not know that. That's very cool. I, you know, it's, they get so much right when it comes to the special effects that yes. I, I can kind of forgive them for the, the proto man thing, I guess. I agree. Yeah. But uh, but it it did kind of it it was not as good as the rest of the effects on the show. It it did stand out a little bit. So that that's fair. Lou, anything that you kind of felt was uh, something that could be improved on with season two? Um. Well, we had that one episode. Um. In in and they actively apologized for it. Um. With the whole physics of space flight in the solar system. Yeah. One yeah. I mentioned last time. Yeah. It, it, and I knew we were going to get to it in this, this episode, but it, that was the one thing that just felt not just wrong, but I felt like they, it felt like they let me down because, you know, <laughs> in the book and in the show, things are so well done and so, you know, thought out to make sure we do this as accurately as we possibly can. without actually shooting this in space. Right. 
it, we know we have those limitations, but to have that scene, uh, that sequence of scenes happen, and I'm just cringing on the couch watching this episode and going, oh, that was really just bad. So why don't you, I mean, we don't really generally recap stuff, but just so that people know what you're referring to, what what is mm. the scene in question? Well, this I, one, I know what you're I, talking I even, about, but just to... Yeah, I'm not, Shannon probably point me in the direction of what episode it was, but this was where, you know, Alex is moving Narasi around the... Um, the solar system and he's slingshotting around planets and moving around moons and, and doing all these things that are, you know, would happen physics wise, but mm-hmm. would take literally weeks to, to happen. It's not like, I you think know, it was a uh, here, there be dragons. Yeah. Okay. Here there be dragons. And, and stuff that it, it wouldn't happen like a, like a, like a, an X-wing in, in star Wars. It's not like you're flitting around right. and, and making these maneuvers happen all these all fast. These are, these are spaceships that are moving at you know relatively slow speeds compared to what we're used to seeing in sci-fi, but in a in a very believable manner where you know it it just didn't work in that episode. I'm like, no, it takes you literally you know, hours to to you know um, orbit a planet or a moon, you know, in, in right. most cases. So it's like it just didn't worry. And I know it's like we talked before about how things do, how fast do starfighters fly? It's the speed of plot. And right. Yeah. They did it for the story, but it just didn't work in that case. I, I did like the fact that they got in front of it though. And uh, I, I have an exactly. appreciation yeah. for that. At they least they were all over that. Yeah. I mean, the ring throwing was very cool too. Oh yes. Yeah. I like that. That was cool. Now, I want to clarify something because, you know, this is the scary thing. I I write for every single episode, I write notes. So every single page of my notebook, there's like episode one, episode two, episode three. I go into my season two stuff and my episode one sheet is ripped out. Uh oh. (laughs) I don't know what happened to it. Oh no. Who did it? Who did it? I don't know. It was Cody. Prody, yes, he did it. Um, but one of the things that kind of puzzled me, and, and I feel like it's part of my fault for not really comprehending it, is when Fred Johnson um, spaces the the man who killed Avasa. Uh, oh, yeah. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> Spoilers. Almost killed Avasarella. Okay. <laughs> When he is. That's better. <laughs> so Andrea. like, what show is she watching? Jeez. What's happening? Kill my <laughs> so favorite character. The man that almost kills Avasarala, he gets right. spaced. And why does he fall? Why does he not float? Is like, is there something I missed in that scene? Uh, the station spinning. That's what I was the habitation okay. ring. Yep. Well, and okay. plus, if oh there's... Gosh, you have the same the so there's also air the pressure within the airlock, and then when you open the airlock, that air pressure escapes outward. So anything that that's... I mean, he's not just going to float in there. It It's the air surrounding this person is also going to be moving outward, pulling right. him along with it because there's no longer any resistance or gravity to keep him there. Yeah. He just went literally down. He did. I was <laughs> like, well, my, where did he go? My brain was just like, cause sometimes I forget. Cause you can see oh, you're it. You're talking the about the, fu- not the outward part, but the downward part. Okay. Yeah. It's the, the downward, Coriolis. Yeah. From- so yeah. Cause uh, just cause it's something I wrote down. Cause uh, I, fr- I didn't realize it the first time I watched it, but when Alex is taking those belters through Tycho mm-hmm. in uh, episode two, and you can see the shape of the ring. Um, but it's, it's the habitation ring that spins. So see, that I you thought have it, it has to gravity. do 
Yeah, I thought it had something to do with Tygo, but I wanted to confirm it. And here we go. Yeah. If anybody you, had girl. questions, we've just answered it. I okay. got you, girl. Moving on. <laughs> there you go. You know, there's going to be, um, we're going to come across stuff like that and, and we'll talk about it on the podcast. I'm trying to think there was something in season so two where they were doing some sort of a hard burn. And in the book, they, they really talk about how the crash couch that they're sitting in, you know, the, the impact and the G forces and stuff like that. And that's something they don't really get into a whole lot in the show and that's fine. But there was one scene. I remember when we were watching the episode, Lou, you and I were talking about how the fact that it didn't look like it was all that strenuous on, Mm, mm -hmm. on the guys. And then, you know, we were thinking it was, you know, the ship would be rattling and all this kind of stuff. And and none of that was going on. And and then we had one of our listeners at the time point out, well, they're not going through any atmosphere. So that's what would cause a ship to rattle. And, you know, sometimes there are, are other elements yeah. that like yep. the, the show producers have thought of and we're looking at, and we're like, well, wait a minute, that can't make sense. And until you actually sit down and analyze it, like what you were talking yeah. about, Andrea, that's a really good point because I remember lots of sci-fi shows and movies, the wing commander movie, this used to bug me. There was a ship that crashed <laughs> in the landing dock that was right outside of, of the force field where it would you have oxygen and stuff. It was one of the major characters crashed and no, you can't leave them out there, blah, blah, blah. And they took this bulldozer <laughs> thing and that went out cute. and cleared off the deck and it fell <laughs> downward. And you're like, wait a minute, there's no down. Mm-hmm. It, it would continue going outward and it just didn't make any sense. But in this case, it does because of the spin of the station. So that's, that's a really good point to make. I'm sure we're going to come up with more things like that as we get through season yeah. three. It'll be like, wait a minute, oh, why did that happen that way? Considering no, how I, much VFX it seems we're getting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have one more thing I didn't like about season two that really has nothing to do with this season as opposed to my expectations for it based on the books. Okay. The first episode. All right. I really wanted to see that fight. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody who's read the books yeah. knows what I'm talking oh about. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, yeah, I, mean, I completely know what you're talking about. Yeah, we yes. got the trailer, the teasers for this. We but, saw, you know, Bobby in her suit. We're like, okay, this is that scene. This is going to be yes. that scene where they're fighting on the surface. Exactly. Yes, I was just going to say that. I think we're going to be getting that in season three. If everybody, ha- if anybody has read Caliban's War, that first, I know what you're talking about. It looked Visually, when I was reading it, it looked amazing. I understand the disappointment of not having it. So maybe seeing it in season three, I'm excited. Yeah, because okay. I I had a lot of confusion. And this was just me, just because now I I knew nothing about the arc of the season, right? So like because I was coming in with fresh eyes, right? You know, new new to watching it live. And as we were getting close to the finale, I got very confused with the amount of people who were like insistent and very confident that we were getting the we need to talk moment at the end of the season. I was like, we're not even there's still so much that has to happen before we get there. I don't yeah. quite understand where you get the idea that it's going to happen in this season. I'm just like it wasn't something that made me feel any kind of way. I was just genuinely like, if you read the books and you knew that was going to happen why do you think it's going to happen now like you you yeah. should know i think people have just been so thrown off by 
the the chronological differences mm. between the TV yeah. show and the book that I, I think people are just so thrown out of whack now that they're they're not even really sure when to expect what to happen anymore. They know things are coming. Yeah. Even us now, we know certain things are coming, but we can't necessarily <laughs> say when or even when or if how. season three, you know? Yeah. Yep. I mean, look at, you know, but that's good, uh, when people, yeah. I mean, look at how, you know, when they didn't give the sample to Fred at the beginning of the, of the season, mm-hmm. everyone's like, wait, how does he get it then? And then, oh, and then that happened. And we were like, oh mm. God, yep, it happened. Not sure I wanted it to happen this way, but it, it happened. So like, we yeah. really don't know how things are going to happen, let alone when. Mm-hmm. So it's but cool. It's like a little surprise gift for myself. Because so many people <laughs> have read the books or are now going through, and probably even some of our listeners haven't read the books yet and are now planning to do so. And it's cool because the people who've read the books now still have something to look forward to in the show and things that are going to surprise them. But also the reverse is is true as well. The people who have been watching the television series can now go read the books and things are going to unfold differently and with different explanations and with different perspectives. And and so it's almost like you're getting all the coolness of the expanse twice simultaneously, like in parallel paths. Always. But, but the TV show is still hitting all of the milestones. So it's still satisfying it back again to the ready player one example it's not that we're not hitting those milestones and in those story moments that are so meaningful. We're getting them. We're just getting them with different timing and, and through different methods. So it's still satisfactory. All right. Before we All move right. on, anything else about season two that, you know, I hate to harp on the negative stuff because again, there's so much positive and season two is but another example. Yeah. Of, I mean, of, I, I went over be, it last week that I, it's so hard for me yes. to be negative. I yeah. said that last week and here I am being not negative. I wasn't really negative. I was we're, just we're being analytical though. Well, things. The whole thing about the, the Holden's portrayal and stuff like that. I think that that's almost more an analysis of what we were seeing on screen and, and trying to figure out why people reacted the way they did and, and trying to find an answer for that. And I think there are some potential answers. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, overall, I think we all really enjoyed season two. Season two had some freaking phenomenal moments and a lot of really, yeah. really solid storytelling and solid character development moments. And Andrea, as you pointed out, some solid effects too. Yeah. And and I feel like if I, again, if I were to choose between season one and season two, season two, there was nonstop action there. There yeah. every oh, single yeah. episode, there was something going on. Yeah. Some of them were a little bit more boring than others, but there was a meaning to them. Whereas season one, it was more building the world, uh, allowing you to understand everything that's going on right? Um, and giving you little tidbits. But this one was like, they throw you in there. And if you get it, if you do, if you don't, then keep up. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. As we move on to things that uh, our favorite moments, our favorite episodes, um, I'm probably just going to throw out a scattering of things here and there. One thing I wanted to point out back what was said earlier, I think, Andrea, you had brought it up about Amos. One of my favorite moments in season two wasn't even one of these big dramatic story moments or one of the big battle scenes or anything like that. It was when Amos was figuring out how to talk to that scientist. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and good. 
like it, first he goes in and talks to the scientist and you're like, okay, that's kind of creepy. Like, you know, Amos is damaged. He's so damaged that he sees someone else who's damaged. And now he's going to go try and, and like form a bond with this person and relate. And then there's that moment in the conversation and he just gets up and walks out and I'm like, Yes. Oh my gosh, oh that's God. brilliant. And other people were like, wait a minute, what do you mean it's brilliant? I don't get it. And I'm like, just watch. Watch. You'll yeah. you'll you'll get it. You'll see where they're going yeah. with it. And what what I really like about it is Amos is the type of archetype of a character that I generally have little to no interest in. I am mm. not into the big brutish, thuggish, you know mechanic roll his sleeves up sort of character because typically they are so underdeveloped. And yet Amos goes in there and manages to figure out how to solve this mystery and how to get this information out of this scientist and not by going and, you know, thunking somebody over the head or, or fixing a broken, <laughs> you know, engine or something, but through the use of psychology, Yes. Which you yeah. totally would not have expected from Amos. That just blew my mind. And yet it fit his character. It wasn't some magical deus ex machina where they, they like he, they bestowed magical powers of psychology on him or something like that. It just, it fit him and where he had come from in his background. That was brilliant. Um, it also led to one of the greatest conversation starters of all time. Which is what? Does uh, you ever talk to a pedophile? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of uh, a non. It came across as a bit of a non sequitur. Exactly, and then as he talks to Holden, you and like the audience and Holden starts to realize, oh wait, that's what he was doing. <laughs> right. It was really well done. That that was an excellent way of explaining how he got to where he got while still making people have to sit down and think about it a little bit more and figure it out for themselves. That that was very clever. All right. So I want to hear what your favorite moments or episodes were. Lou, I'm, I'm going to go with you. Why don't you start? Ooh, um, my favorite moments. Uh, well, my favorite moment, you guys can probably guess what that was. There was a, there was a little, you know, airlock scene it was fun it was it, it was it was actually a very very powerful scene actually it was yeah. really you know made your hair in the back of your neck stand up and it kind of creeped you out but you could see it coming and there's nothing you could do about it but those are the kind of moments in tv that really make me happy when, when i see something that's that emotional <laughs> you are I mean, so messed it, up lou i know but it's, i would it's, not put it like that, to be that way but, but they make me happy i would not so put it like scene. that I'm sorry. here you have it folks lou is a psychopath yeah it, <laughs> it was a powerful scene that that is definitely correct though um but otherwise i mean my favorite episode was probably caliban's war i just loved the way everything wrapped up in that episode i was it was it was a really 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 good episode yeah um, yeah, that, 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 that's mine. <laughs> okay. Andrea, what about you? Um, I'm going to say that it's little tidbits here and there. I really, really enjoyed a lot of Vasarala's scenes specifically when she says, um, and I'm going to say it wrong and everybody's going to hate me, whoever the fuck you are, sit down and let her speak. I, I, there was so much power in that specific scene and, and she just owned it and I really enjoyed it. Um, home didn't like too much of it, but, um, 
Julie's interactions with Miller when she cries and she says that she wants to go home, that specific um, part of the script really made me teary-eyed. Yeah. And I feel like I, I can really connect to her in that aspect. And I understood where she was coming from and I really enjoyed that um and then I I do agree with Lou Calvin's war was really good I really liked the deconstruction um of the Arbogast Mm. it was beautiful beautiful and it goes back to what you said Eric that there's a lot of the a lot of the times you you have to understand what's going on and, and you're going to miss those tiny little details. And I was doing a little bit more research on this and a lot of people just did not know what in the world had happened. Hmm. And That's a lot okay. of people, neither did they in the story either. Exactly. And, and it's so interesting. And I mean, you guys can chime in and let me know if I'm on the right track to explaining it is that the proto molecule is learning. It's learning, and a lot of people were really confused as to why the ship was deconstructed, but the humans were not. And that's because the proto-molecule already knows what goes into the humans, but it does not know every little bit of the ship itself. So it's deconstructing to learn, and I love that. Right. And a lot of people would have missed it. And and, and just having those little details just... It was a mind-boggling. It, it was a beautiful scene. Just a shot of it was incredible. So that's one of my favorites. There was a lot of emotional moments um, when Holden and Naomi are talking, and she tells him that she's betrayed him. That was very emotional. And then when um, the Belter in Ganymede saves, I mean, gives his spot away for Naomi, that made me teary-eyed because it was very emotional. And I felt that emotion through um, Dominique, and she did a wonderful job in that one. Okay, now, no, wait a second. Now, when I said I enjoyed it when people got spaced. Oh, my God. I get, <laughs> I get ridiculed. When Andrea says that oh, a whole entire ship full of people gets just disassembled, <laughs> that's okay. She said it was beautiful, specifically. I said it was okay, beautiful. So, so me enjoying it, she said it was beautiful. Okay, it, the same thing. I mean, so, Lou, all, all Lou, you're talking about. Do we know if they're dead? Do we know if they're dead? We do not know if we're dead. It was a cliffhanger, Lou. See, I just think, Lou, you're talking about opening a door and a whole bunch of people falling out. She's talking about the ship itself actually coming apart at the seams. Like, I think hers is a lot more epic than you. I think you need to step your game up, Lou. I think that's... Lou just doesn't admit. I got to write this down. Yeah, same result, less panache. He's wrong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to actually speak to that specifically, Andrea, I actually got to that scene in the book today. Oh, uh, not that particular scene, but when they're discussing, I, I expect it to come up in season three actually because of it. But they're discussing like, oh, well, why didn't the people get taken apart? And then they're like, oh shoot, Eros, like they already did that. But then again, Avasarala was still on Earth when that happened in the book, so who actually knows if it comes up? So I'm glad you brought it up. Let me ask a question. (laughs) Let me ask a question real quick. And I'm I'm sure that as we continue on with this podcast series, uh, this will be a little more common knowledge among both us and our listeners. Shannon, have you, how far along into the books overall are you right now? Are you on a reread or have you? 
Yes, uh, I'm on a reread. I reread uh, Leviathan Wakes last year, and I was going to read Caliban's War once we knew when it was coming back, so it would be fresh. Okay. Um, Have you read the entire book series, though? Yes. Yeah, I'm all caught up. I actually just reread half of Persepolis Rising because I didn't finish in time for uh, a Uh... read an episode of something. So like okay. <gasps> the nerve. Are we all I caught up on the novels to then? Talk about it. I know yes, some of us yeah. have to do the short stories, yeah, but we're all, all of up. us have read through all of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted Why to. Why would I read now? I'm like Caliban's War too. Okay. Get behind. I had a hard time with, with Caliban's War the first time around. And I think now I'm more interested in going back and rereading it again. I've re I've reread the first three books at least one time. Um, not four through six, but I, I think I need to go back and reread Caliban's War. It's really good when you read it again, because yeah. uh, like I said earlier, I missed a lot of stuff that was glaringly obvious, and it might have been because of the format of the story, like how stories right. play out in Expanse books, especially the early right. ones. Um, I think I might have just been like, my brain was just like, find the plot, find the plot. Mm. Um, right, exactly. But, Reading it again, uh, especially concerning what I brought up earlier, a lot of things that I missed fell into place. Like, oh, I didn't realize he was doing that. Now I see why everyone was mad at him. Right. Like things like that. I missed a lot of stuff. I missed a couple things with Avasarala as well. Um, but I always have trouble with political thriller stuff. Mm. Um, but there, the beautiful thing about the Expanse bo- books and shows are sh- books and show. I don't know why I tried to act like we had more than one is that uh, both reward rereading and reviewing. Right. So uh, I, that's why I'm happy to do a reread before the season comes back. So it's fresh in my mind because I'm picking up on so many little things that I either missed or were clues. Yeah. Um, and that I didn't realize were the, were such going there and that's also why i love rewatching the show so much the show really rewards uh rewatching. absolutely so and it's wonderful something that i i wish more shows did but and mm. again i think that just speaks volumes to the quality of the writing overall and the the outlining of where they're taking these stories down the road you're able to do some foreshadowing and and even just planting some seeds, maybe not even mm. heavy foreshadowing as much as just sticking some things in there to let them get planted. And, you know, they're going to grow up later on into something bigger. Yeah. Um, it's just there was it's phenomenal. A, a heavy foreshadow of. Uh, ooh, I think it was book six, Babylon's Ashes in season two, and I'm not going to say what it is. I think I know I what talk, you're talking about. I can talk about it outside. Of the show, because I don't want to spoil anyone, but like the first half of the sentence was one foreshadow and the second half of the sentence was another foreshadow. And I literally when I saw Mm. that in book six, I had to sit there for a good long minute like, oh, God, that just happened. They just they just went there. And a lot of book readers know the huge foreshadow from season one Mm -hmm. with Avasarala. So it's really cool to see all these foreshadowy moments, especially for later books now that we're there. Yeah. Like hearing people say certain things to certain characters or hearing certain yeah. characters say certain things like there's already a season three line that makes me think of what's to come that we've seen in a teaser uh, from a certain character. And I'm just sitting here like, oh, God, please don't. 
It's really interesting because I think I know what you're talking about. And in my notes, I, I wrote in capital letters, and I will show this eventually, like a, a little tidbit. I put O-S-H-I-T, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, because I know exactly what's to come. So that's really exciting. I'm glad yeah. you pointed that out. All right, before we get on to the feedback for this episode, Shannon, your favorite moments? Oh, everything <laughs> i love the expanse like i love lamp i love the uh, that's expanse. we're at an hour we, we can't do the whole expanse I know, no, no, i know um i've been trying to narrow it down i uh, people who know me know i try not to pick the obvious things but it's very hard because of how much meaning i have attached to things right so obviously my favorite thing was uh holden's ptsd arc which right. i know isn't finished and I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was uh, rewatching Home and Godspeed tonight. It was very beautifully done by Stephen. Incredibly yeah. beautifully done. Um, favorite moments. Uh, I have to agree. The Arbogast, the death of the Arbogast was gorgeous. And seeing it play out on screen was, I forgot it was going to happen. So when it happened, I literally <laughs> sat there like, oh, wow. Like I kind of. <laughs> Similar to that, the launch of the Nauvoo. Oh, also my incredible. goodness. How can I yeah. forget about that? The launch of the Nauvoo is just, uh, it's awe-inspiring. And hearing Fred go, um, good luck and Godspeed, and you were meant to see another son, is just yeah. so, oh, right in the chest. Very interesting that you mentioned that, because that was the scene that I was going to bring forward. The special effects in that one. It's mm. very amazing that you can see as as the Naboo is launching, the there's two things. One of the little um I wrote this down too. One of the little ships just like combusts into the back of the, the yeah. And then the other thing is that the Rest metal please. burning from the thrust was amazing. Yeah. And, and it's those little things that I just, it, they make me so giddy and I love yeah. it because it's that attention to detail that makes me fall in love with this show more and more and more. Yeah, Just like on the Arbogast, you can see the screws from the screens. Yeah. Like uh, the attention to details. Um, I'm going to have to, I, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering specific moments uh, actually you know what don't talk down to me plant guy <laughs> i only remember that because i remember my tweet from that moment was they're called botanists holden and <laughs> for some reason i thought that was very funny i think i'm very funny um <laughs> it's fine it's fine we're getting there uh but because i'm struggling to pick like specific favorite moments because i have so many i mean the show is yeah. You know, it's amazing and it's changed my life. Um if I had to pick a favorite episode, Caliban's War. Yeah. Um first of all, because I had trouble visualing visualing visualizing what was going on in the cargo bay during that scene with Holden yeah. and Amos. Um, but not only that, but first of all, I, I love any time you have an actor who cannot move when they act. Um, because it brings out performances in other places. And I thought that was, I was blown away by, by Holden in Caliban's war. Um, and I was blown away by everyone's performance talking to Holden. 
Uh, I almost cried in Naomi and Holden's scene um, when she asked him if he regretted it. And he said, no, yes, yeah. only because I can't spend more time with you. That was and hearing like the whimpers and stuff over the man, that was heavy. Like just hearing the the whimpers and the seeing him turn off his I have the script for this episode. I should probably point that out. And so I know a couple things that I gleaned from the episode. And when I watched it, I was like, when he turns off his alarm, he does it so she doesn't hear him. And I mm. knew I could guess it. And seeing it written in the script just made it, you know, it was just a lot of love in that scene. And yeah. there was a lot of love with Amos and Alex doing everything he can to help, even when it doesn't actually help. And yeah. Prax being the one that saves the day. The ep and then Avasarala and Bobby, like, honestly, the pacing of that episode was perfect. The performances in that episode were beyond my expectations. The fact that I was crying should probably say a lot about that. I was also mm. drinking a lot, so maybe oh. not. Um, but it's, it was, it's such a good season that it's hard for me to um, pick favorite moments that don't stand out just because they're funnier. Yeah. Something. Um, but well, and I, just I, to let our, our listeners know, we are actually going to come back to season one and season two later yeah. in the off season after season three and analyze certain plot points, certain story arcs, some character analysis and stuff like that. So this is not all we're going to have to say in season no. two. Um, and also always shout out to Champa. Like, oh, I, yes. I'm always going to get emotional watching that whole episode, watching Naomi wanting to save one more life. Now, after I had to ask what, and I saw this in the show notes for, for our listeners who really enjoy the show and want to listen to our podcast to just kind of get some more insight, but don't have quite the encyclopedic knowledge that Shannon does. Who is Champa? Champa is the belter that, um, Melissa, the uh, captain of the weeping somnambulist asked to help her keep people off the ship. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that when Naomi, she offers him her spot on the ship. And after he helps her put people on the ship, he physically picks her up and puts her back on the ship and tells her she's not done. Yeah. And I mean the whole thing, because Naomi's trauma from Eros is that she couldn't save more lives. Right. And she says that to Holden in season one, like we could have saved more. And it doesn't come up a lot because she's so tied up on, on the sample and making and thinking that that's how I help Belters. And then the scene on Ganymede happens and it's I can help Belters by getting Belters home safe or somewhere safe. Right. Even if it means I die. And so that scene when when he puts her on and says, you're not done is just so powerful because she's had this guilt and this pain in her heart this whole season. It didn't manifest the same way as everyone else because she's a belter. Right. These are her people. That was, and I'm so glad they gave her this for yeah, the show. You know, going into that, that story element, I was kind of ambivalent toward it. And then by the time they wrapped it up, that was, I thought one of the more powerful moments of the entire season. Yeah. I, I mean, I really liked it. Giving Naomi that con a better connection to the the Belters and Belter culture um, that she yeah. shrugged off in the books because of her past, which she also hinted at in the show. Yeah. Uh, leaving it in after Eros, like her realizing that it is important and a part of her. And no matter what kind of pain she lived through in the past, 
this is her fight now, as she said to Holden, which another great scene, the one outside the ship, when they talk through the helmets, give me all that good science romance stuff. (laughs) But, you know, we didn't choose this. This is our fight now. Right. That line, it's, this is her fight. She's fighting for the Belters. She has so many secrets from Holden, but all of them are for her people. And and I, I do have to mention that a lot of people are giving Dominique such a hard time because like, oh, you betrayed everyone. But it's all about perspective. And she I will always right bring it. I will be always behind the perspective aspect that I understand. It might not have been the right decision, but who Mm. am I to judge based on what her explanation is? And I love that because, again, it could be the same thing as when um, I'm blanking out. Miller shoots him. What's his name? Dresden. Uh, Dresden. Yes. His explanation was. Oh, that's so weak. That's something I didn't like, by the way. I forgot. Dresden. His explanation was very interesting. And the reason, and, and I love that when Miller is talking to Fred, he says the reason why I killed him was not because of revenge. It was because he made sense. And I was really right. interesting. So yeah, I just, yeah. last thing, cause I have to say it. Naomi wasn't wrong. The lying was. Yes. Naomi, I think she did the right thing. It's lying and hiding it from Holden, which it's his fault too, that she couldn't tell him the truth. That's what's wrong. That's the bad thing. So don't get it twisted. Naomi did nothing wrong except lie. <laughs> Which is a kind of a big thing. It's a, it's a big lie. There's yeah. the emphasis was, on the nothing there. But, yeah. It yeah. was less of a lie and more of a deception, which to me is worse because she made him think she did it. But at the same time, I think people are realizing the wrong thing is wrong. Yeah. Her doing it isn't wrong. It's her deceiving her family and her lover and then keeping it a deception for so long mm, right. to the point where both of them could have died. And neither I, I also take exception. I also take a little exception to the fact that you put it on him as his fault that she had to lie to him. Well, I know. Yeah. Because, at, at, because no. <laughs> he made her feel like she couldn't be honest and open with him. And that is on him. No, <laughs> no, it is on him. If you if your partner doesn't feel comfortable telling you the truth, there's something wrong. That's not his fault, though. But anyways, we can move he, on. He owns some lead. <laughs> All I'm saying, I have to. Well, I have to. People I, have to I, know I, I can I, criticize I Holden. I, I okay. Well, that's a good point because I, I know how well, sacred Holden is in in your eyes, Shannon. So that that is, I I do appreciate that you can that you can come to terms with criticizing. He needs to open his mind. Holden, yeah. He needs. He's not always right. That relationships are complicated and people contribute to many different facets of them in many different ways. And I love the fact that this show is introducing complex relationship dynamics like that. Oh, very complex. And the fact that we can even sit here and, and and have a discussion about whether or not Holden is in some part responsible for Naomi's decision-making based on Naomi's feelings just that's yet another indicator of the depth of the writing of the characters of this show. So I, I can really appreciate that. But that being said, we do need to move on. We're at an hour and 10 minutes. And we try to keep our I'm shows ready. down to an hour. However, we also <laughs> try to get feedback from our listeners and we have some for this episode. So Shannon and Andrea, we're going to let you guys whip through this real quick before we close out. Cause I think this is, this is really important that uh, we share what you guys have shared with us. Yeah. So <clears throat> 
as we discussed, we asked what our listeners loved most about season two and what moments stood out for them. So I'm going to start with uh, Albert Epstein on Twitter, uh, handle Albert S underscore Epstein, uh, had a list. So I kind of trimmed it down. I'm sorry, um, because it is an impossible question. You're right, Albert. Uh, the battle at Toth Station, which is stunning and should it be everyone's favorite moment. The venting of the inners, uh, which Lou mentioned. Champa's speech to Naomi with a favorite episode of Doors and Corners. Uh, Joanna Nicholas, Mama Jojo 365 said, uh, the cucumber sandwiches scene <laughs> with Bobby, which is so good. And pretty much every of Asarala scene. Silver 89, uh, Silver Hawks 89 said, Naomi saving the refugees on Ganymede despite everyone telling her it was impossible. Yeah. Uh, Anton Berlite on Twitter, which is the same handle, said, uh, the look in Avasarala's eyes when Bobby comes back to rescue her in Kotiar is equal parts fear and admiration. Uh, Amos seeing the reflection of himself in Cortazar and the Toth Station raid. Um, Jennifer Haggis, J-Mo makes... Uh, on Twitter said the Miller and Julie scenes and obviously the Bobby scenes with the Vassarala, every single one of them. And I'm just going to make it short and sweet. Um, the next few people that we want to give shout outs to it's Michael P. He said the episode home and the visuals for Godspeed. Um, Re slash Hataru, Bobby seeking political asylum, Naomi saving refugees, all conversations between Prax and Amos, slingshot scene, and Nolden sex scenes. Spice it up a little bit. Um, the yearly tradition. <laughs> the shipper and me can't help it. And honestly, the shipper and all of us can't. Uh, MJ said Alex's sling slingshot scene. Uh, Jim and Naomi talking about um, doing good where they can, when they can. Miller sacrificing himself and going into arrows. Amos and Prax scenes together. And then Anna said, my favorite scene is um, Alex in zero G. And then we really do want to give a special shout out to Bianca. She has been so amazing in leaving us a review and just giving us amazing feedback on the episode one. So shout out to you. You, it, that is what we're here for. We're here for you guys and to listen to what you guys have to say. Oh, thank you, Bianca. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of what you guys have to say, we want you to keep the feedback coming. All right. You can email us at tightbeam at randomchatter.com. That's a great way to get in touch with us. You can send us questions, comments, uh, your ideas on what Shannon might have been referring to about the things referencing book number six. <laughs> don't tweet it because you don't want to spoil it for other people. Yep. Just email it to us, tightbeam at randomchatter.com. Now, that being said... You can tweet us anything else that's not a spoiler. Our Twitter account is the type beam. Don't forget the the. The network Twitter account is random chatter. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Blythe. That's E R I K B L Y T H E. Shannon, where can we find you on Twitter? I can be found at Shank BZ. All right. And Andrea? You can find me at Cats Bears. That's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. And Lou? Uh, just my name on Twitter. It's Lou Secchi, L-O-U-S-E-C-K-I. All right. Now, we've gotten rid of our network Facebook account. Uh, made a conscious decision to do that until Facebook kind of gets their act together. 
Uh, but we do have an Instagram account for the network. Uh, it's just the username's just random chatter. I think we may or may not be working on one for the type beam. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm going to have to ask our resident social media gurus here about that. Maybe, uh, maybe gurus. we'll look into That's that. That's a loose, loose interpretation of what we do. <laughs> well, better you than me. Uh, and the other thing as well, I don't think um, that word means what you think it means. <laughs> we got some no requests uh, to get the show up on Google Play. Now, I uh, I'm more of an iOS guy, and I know Lou is too. We we had someone on staff who had kind of set the other shows up with that. That person's no longer on staff with us, so we are going to look into this. We want to make sure that you're able to get it, however it is you need to get the show. So we are going to hopefully have that set up pretty soon. And in the meantime, you can go to randomchatter.com. We've got an entire network of podcast shows there. I like to think that they're really good shows. So I would encourage you to go over to randomchatter.com and check that out. We would love it if you would leave reviews for the Type Beam. This is a brand new podcast. And so it's hard to get up and running sometimes and, and get a quantity of reviews and ratings out there. If you're listening to us through iTunes, you know, even if you're not listening to us through iTunes, that's still one of the biggest uh, podcast databases on the internet. So if you could hop into iTunes, if you've got an account and leave us a review there anyway, even if that's not how you're listening to us, we would really appreciate it. We would appreciate it if you'd share news about the show on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is you use. And then also word of mouth, just talking with friends. I'm sure you're talking to somebody about the expanse. So let them know that there's a new podcast out there. Tell them how to find it. Finally, if you'd like to help support the network, uh, we would really appreciate that. If you head over to randomchatter.com slash Patreon, there's more information there. Um, one of the things that we do for perks to people who do help support the network at uh, the $1 a month donation level, the, the, just the entry level donation level, because we wanted to make this as widespread as we could, we give you complete access to our Discord community. We've got lots of channels in there, lots of conversations about all kinds of different stuff. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I know it helps me get through the week. I know it does for the other staff members too. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on there. So that's just one of the things that you can partake in through our, our Patreon setup, randomchatter.com slash Patreon. If you want to go hang out in the main lobby of our Discord server, you can do that too. Even if you don't donate to the network, you can get through through uh, randomchatter.com slash Discord. And then finally, the music you hear in this podcast is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller. And as silly as the sentence sounds, all trademarks are owned by their respective owners. Until next time, take care. <laughs>